Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today's kind of like a slightly different sort of episode. Um, it's, it's an episode, I should have, again, I should have probably done uh, some time ago and it's just a kind of um, an issue I've been, I've been dealing with on, online for, for a while um, and it's a, a you can, f- I did a, a YouTube video literally years ago um explaining why the the sort of the the oft-cited idea that comes from the the kind of like the often from the far right that hitler was a socialist is is, um, incorrect actually in in kind of every conceivable way um maybe it wasn't the the greatest video i ever did and looking at it with hindsight now there's a whole bunch of other stuff I, i i could and perhaps should have said but anyway Consistently over about the last ten years, the level of vitriol this one video has generated is, is fascinating. It, it really is. The level of, of engagement. I mean, I don't really put a lot of time and effort into the YouTube channel. It's you know a bit of an, an afterthought, to be honest with you. Um, but the the level of engagement this one video gets is uh, is really really interesting. And um, the 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 level of anger it generates. Um, Kind of points to something very, 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 very interesting, and I, I want to kind of unpack and, and discuss that today. When I set this podcast up, it was this podcast is a complete accident, as so many things about my life are. And when I set this podcast up, it was um, for my students in a school that I have not taught in for many, many years, and you know, I actually left teaching itself uh, last year to work in uh, counselling and psychotherapy. Uh, which is what I do, um, but the, over time, the kind of the purpose of the podcast became kind of apparent to me, and it was to try to 
uh, create a sort of a useful filter on the internet for people who wanted to access um, peer-reviewed history. You know, when I talk about things, I either talk to a historian or I find a book that I have particularly thought was valuable uh, and has something important and interesting to say and, most importantly, is well-evidenced and researched and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so... I can then present that to you guys who are listening as look this is this is interesting this is important this tells us something about the past it kind of might even tell us something about the present moment um and so internet kind of conspiracy theories and this this sort of misinformation um, that we are constantly having to deal with and we'll only have to deal with more of um is is kind of what I, I try to create a, like a barrier against. It's virtually impossible, um, but I I think that this this key issue is is a very very important one. Okay, to set out the the kind of the the, the case. Um, so fascism. If you if we sort of leave Nazism aside, which you can sort of kind of call like a variant of of fascism if you go back to the the kind of the the eve of the first world war slightly beforehand maybe the 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 five five or six years before the first world war when there are these sort of proto-fascist ideas emerging in all across europe from russia to italy um to france and a little bit in 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 great britain but not particularly these proto-fascist ideas were fixated on on one key problem what do you do about organised labour? Um, how do you deal with the the threat of organised labour and mass democracy? And fascist thinkers were uh, uh, agitating. They said, basically, if organised labour and mass democracy triumph, then you know the the rule of the the elites, or even just the rule the rule of the bourgeoisie, that, that, that that's gone. And the way in which you deal with this, and this is where various kind of ascetic movements came along board, came alongside and on, on board with all of this. Um, the, the, the way you deal with this problem is you have the only individual you care about is the inspirational leader, the, the, the visionary strongman who will guide the way for the masses. The masses are, you know, pliable and stupid and ignorant and they'll believe whatever you tell them. Fascism, um, when it started to be, be kind of crystallised after the First World War with people like Gabrielle D'Annunzio, began to kind of articulate this and a host of other ideas kind of gather amongst it. So, you know, the, the idea of the strong man, the leader, leading the nation, national destiny, national renewal. Um, and that really kind of uh, speaks to a desire for kind of revanchism in Italy and Germany, um, imperialism, uh, taking back the territories that we thought were ours and we believe ours, such as the Irredentalands um, that were promised to Italy by the Allied powers uh, and, and were denied in the Treaty of Versailles and then doing national hurts and humiliations and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, in Italian fascism, anti-Semitism doesn't particularly feature uh, as a thing um, until, of course, um, Hitler and Mussolini um, become, after 1936, become, become particularly close. Obviously, in, in German fascism, 
in Nazism, anti-Semitism is a, is a key part of that. Um, and anti-Semitism is tied in with Hitler's obsession that kind of the, the, the Jews have somehow created Marxism. Now, the, the, this is my, my, my first part of, of my kind of Hitler was not a socialist, was not on the left thesis, um, that Hitler saw organised labour uh, and um, socialism as the product of the Jews, and he believed that um, a universe that racial stratification was the ordering of society, that you have dominant races and inferior ones, and the inferior ones serve the dominant races, or they're kind of wiped out when you, you take their lands and territories, and he looked at the fate of the Native Americans in... Um, in the Great Plains of America, and said, "Well, yeah, that's what happens. You know, you sweep away the inferior peoples, and you, you know, the, and, and the Aryan peoples triumph. And this is this is how how history is meant to go." He, he, he thought that that Marx's idea of history, not that I think Hitler stood it particularly well, but he said that, that Marx's idea that all history is the history of class struggle, well this is just a kind of a mischievous and dangerous idea um, that has been put there by this this kind of Jewish philosopher, and of course Marx obviously was was Jewish. Um, and so the, you know, f fascism is an, an, an anti-socialism. It might be. It might have manifested itself in the term national socialism at a certain point, but it is anti-socialist in its ethos. Hitler had no intention of creating some sort of classless society, even in his vision of a post-war Germany of a racial utopia. There was to be class stratifications. Sure, you know there was this idea that all Germans would be united by German blood. But those that toiled and worked would um, still, you know, be a, a proletariat. There would still be a capitalist class in uh, in Germany, and and indeed there was. Now, one of the one of the key arguments that's put over, uh, or the, the the claims that that I see time and time again, is that. Nazism is a kind of like a big state idea. It's a, and and therefore, if we're looking down that road, then the the kind of the, the the far right claim of what socialism is is statism. It's it's the state, um, which would make Britain and America during the Second World War socialist countries. These are countries that saw an enormous expansion in state power. That's a bit of a facetious point, but you see the point I'm making here. Statism alone doesn't dictate whether something is socialist or not. I mean, we exist in an age now where um, not necessarily far-right fascist arguments, but kind of right conservative arguments are have become fundamentally libertarian, um, pure, purely because conservative parties around the world are paid for by billionaires that don't want to pay any taxes, and so they have they cook up this sort of neoliberal um, stew of ideas that are popular sort of pumped by right-wing think tanks into newspapers and TV programs and into political classes, saying that, you know, that, the, 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 and this goes back to kind of Thatcherite, Reaganite kind of era, that, that taxation and uh, taxation is essentially theft and the state is essentially bad and it can't do anything. And 
um, can't get anything right and only causes more more problems, which is you know la- largely erroneous. Um, look at the you know coronavirus for example, when uh, when we needed it, there we are. The the, the state turns up when it's uh, it's required. Um, but not wanting to get bogged down in uh, picking holes in Thatcherite ideas, um, though there are many to pick. Um, I think that this this current discourse comes from kind of that origin. It's it's about you know if you take Nazism, the most kind of repugnant and evil manifestation of uh, you know of of humanity. Uh, there are some close contenders for for awful regimes of the twentieth century, but obviously Nazism is by far the the kind of the the most viscerally kind of monstrous. Um, and you associate that with the the, the notion of the state in general, um, or the idea that the state is fundamentally oppressive, or that a defining feature of something like Nazism is statism. Then it's it's uh, which you know it, it has a is a very very kind of erroneous argument in itself, but then it, it means that you can then redefine Nazism as socialist because we're saying that uh, socialism is statism. Well, I mean, the the extent to which Nazism and statism go together is is a kind of a, a, a complicated one. Nazism, um, you know, from from 1933 for uh, until you know the, the the middle of the decade, just as the regime is establishing itself, there is a a kind of a a client like um, relationship between Nazi Nazism and capital. The idea that Hitler was somehow like Stalin and you know nationalized. German industry and collectivized the land. Well, no, didn't. That's, that's not an accurate description uh, at all. Um, German capital. If you look at the history of companies like IG Farben, um, was quite comfortable with Nazism. Nazism doesn't really need to expropriate German industry until the most kind of desperate phases of the war. During the Second World War in Germany and in virtually every other combatant power there has to be a kind of a degree of coordination aircraft manufacturers need to be told how many fighter planes to build for example Krupp have to be told how much steel to produce in order to make tanks for example but you find the um, uh, the equivalent in Britain and America when Franklin Roosevelt wanted Boeing to build B-17 bombers he offered them enormous sums of money, but there wasn't really the option of, of not making the B-17 bombers if they didn't didn't wish to. You know, the same with kind of Liberty ships or in Britain with Spitfires or Churchill tanks or, or what have you. Global war demands statism. It demands an expansion of, of state power. That itself is not a defining feature of socialism. A defining, you know, if if we're going to suggest that Hitler is, is a socialist, then we need to you know, somehow prove that he he read and endorsed Marx, that he believed in class struggle, that he believed that all history was the history of class struggle, and he didn't. Quite literally, there, you know, there's, there's some arguments suggest that he writes Mein Kampf as a kind of like a racial 
riposte to Marx as a kind of a, a, a racial, a racialized response, uh, saying that well, you know, socialism an idea as an idea has its manifesto, but um, the you know that what well, we don't you know that that uh, we we don't have our manifesto and you know Mein Kampf uh, is 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 a sort of an answer to that. Obviously, Mein Kampf is a very very different book to Das Kapital or the Communist Manifesto. And it's far more kind of convoluted and rambling and partly Hitler's kind of misremembered years in the war and his own opinions on things um, and, a, and a sort of like a, a, a sort of a very vague blueprint for how how one might seize and, and wield power but it's it, it contains nothing in it that can be argued as being objectively socialist uh, if uh, unless of course you know your intention is to wildly misread what socialist ideas are or have been i mean we we may be approaching some kind of postmodern moment where um as a society we decide that um many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The history of ideas don't really matter, and we can say that something is socialism or uh, or not uh, as as we see fit. Um, that we, you know, a, a pretty alarming state of affairs, and our ability to kind of navigate ideas and uh, to be able to kind of look objectively at what a set of ideas means um, would will, will be be hampered. But these things do do happen um, if you look. At the way the term liberal has been used in the United States of America um, liberal is used as a kind of a term of abuse by the political right by you know, Fox News and things like that for anything which is sort of slightly slightly left of say uh, you know Bill Clinton um, so uh, but you know liberal as as we as we all know has nothing to do necessarily with the left. You I mean you could describe Margaret Thatcher economically as as a a liberal? Um, I mean, liberal sort of means the, this kind of um, idea, this set of ideas that emerged 
in, in you know from perhaps the the seventeenth to the the nineteenth century, uh, as states evolved and became um, kind of all powerful. Uh, about the uh, this essentially the limiting of state power and the the, the rights of the individual and it has uh, nothing objectively to do with kind of left ideas uh, at, at all which is about the kind of if you're going to maybe and this is a very bold thing to do but to encapsulate left ideas you might encapsulate them as the essentially the the ideas that pertain to the democratization of wealth and power um those ideas, you know, if, if that's how we're going to see socialism, and obviously the people that don't like my YouTube channel probably aren't going to see it like that, but uh, guys, if you're listening, um, here we go. Adolf Hitler had no desire whatsoever to democratise wealth and power. Adolf Hitler believed in elitism. His elitism was a racialized elitism, and in a an era of European empires and kind of racial stratification of societies, um, dictatorial and democratic, he wasn't alone in those thoughts, but he absolutely believed in elites. He said, you know, the common man is not designed for power. The common man is not designed for uh, thinking. You know, Hitler's view of himself, a very kind of inflated, arrogant, tortured genius view of himself, Place, um, you know, placed him uh, kind of above, you know, the critical faculties of of the common man in his thinking, but he he had no belief in the as I put it the democratization of wealth and power. He believed that fundamentally the rot had sat in with the French Revolution, and this was one of the most disastrous events that had um, had ever happened in in European history. His went in nineteen forty as his um, uh, tanks rolled into Paris. He considered obliterating the city, obliterating the seat of the the French Revolution, um, the the birthplace of modern political thought, um, and certainly the birthplace of uh, socialist ideas. Um, he didn't, in the end, he didn't obliterate Paris. He thought it would just kind of wither away into insignificance compared to the new Berlin that he was going to to build. But his uh, his, his belief in um, that that democracy itself would eventually lead to Marxism um, was a kind of a, a, a defining idea of, of of Hitler's thought. He said, you know, if you if you let ordinary people vote, if you educate them, if you allow them to organise, you will eventually get the overthrow of capitalism. Um, and whilst Hitler, you know, you can't describe him as a, a somebody, you can't describe him as a capitalist himself. Um, Hitler was had precious little interest in um, the in, in kind of the establishment of the rule of capital. It certainly served him, and but he and and he perhaps he saw it as kind of organic as uh, organically part of the, the the natural order of things. But towards the you know, during the um, uh, during the war and beforehand, Hitler believed that capital should be subservient not to uh, a particular social class not to the state but should be subservient to the interests of the race there is um, 
a, a moment where one of the directors of IG Farben went to see Hitler to say, we've lost, uh, you know, our Jewish physicists cannot work. Um, I think this would have been in 1933, probably, or slightly later, but our Jewish physicists cannot work, we need them. And Hitler exploded with anger and said, essentially, the German race doesn't need, you know, can do without physicists, and it certainly can do without Jewish ones. And he was telling um, the, 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 the kind of the leaders of German Capitol that your interests are less important than the racial interests of the of the German people. Hitler's kind of an anti-intellectual. I mean, he, he believes himself to be an intellectual, but in terms of engaging with, with ideas, he doesn't think very much for them. He believes that will is the, the most important thing. And he certainly had no grasp of economics. His, his economic argument is one of plunder, essentially, that if you um, invade other countries and take their resources and wipe out lesser peoples or enslave them or do something with them, then you increase your country's economic capacity. Um, and this is, he said, you know, look at America, that's what happened. The British in India, that's how they've become become rich and that's, that's what you do. Um, and so he, he, this is a very kind of a brutally simple um, uh, set of economic ideas. The fact that Hitler's kind of ethos was racial and imperial meant that Hitler, um, Hitler's, Hitler was a kind of embracing ideas which were kind of antithetical to to socialist thought. I mean, obviously, Marx, both Marx and Lenin, um, decried imperialism as this as sort of like the, the the pinnacle of, of capitalism. Um, and and saw it saw it saw it as a kind of the the ultimate expression of capitalist exploitation. When Hitler um, invaded um, East uh, Eastern Europe and then the West, one of the, the you know some of the prime beneficiaries are a sort of a, a particular breed of kind of parasitic German capitalism. This sort of capitalism that thrives on. Uh, cheap or slave labour, um, and it thrives on uh, the, the 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 conquest and theft of resources. I mean, the fact when you go to Auschwitz Auschwitz Birkenau, the um, the 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 three month the three month lifespan for the prisoners that weren't automatically murdered on, on arrival is one based on the extraction of labour. It's based on work. These were prisoners who were shipped out to work in factories or work uh, cutting uh, timber or a bunch of other um, meaning, meaning, uh, you know, menial stuff. Um, at auschwitz monowitz just down the road, um, the Italian physicist Primo Levi worked, uh, not physicist, I beg your pardon, chemist, um, uh, worked uh, there um, synthesizing rubber and so and and um, the the extraction of of labor of surplus labor value for German industry really kind of suggests that far from being a a, a socialist 
one of Hitler's um, one of Hitler's tasks was to suck resources, stolen resources, into Germany to give Germany this kind of uh, economic uh, it, it, this this kind of unearned economic boostage. And some of the principal beneficiaries of this were German capital. Obviously, you know they they needed to survive the war in order to uh, reap re- the the kind of the benefits, and obviously they, they they didn't do. Of course, in the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin, there are slave labor camps. Socialism also extracts labor, um, and uh, or at least kind of the, the the Stalinist variety of it does. But it's but obviously the beneficiaries of that surplus labor value are not private industries they are the this is it is the the apparatchiks of the stalinist state okay so i kind of kind of rant coming to an end really and i don't even think of it as a rant um i um i think it's important to from time to time to stop and address how ideas are currently being used and 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 what they are are being used for and to to look at the kind of the connections to the past and to to kind of question whether what is being said makes any any kind of meaning meaningful sense which of course it doesn't now i'm fairly aware that the the people that believe that hitler was a socialist um uh, and therefore socialism is a kind of code word for anything bad i don't like uh will you know blithely ignore this and and that's fine that's fine but i think it's important to kind of put forward a case for these these ideas uh, and their and their kind of u- use and misuse the final point to make of course this is always made at me is, a, is like well According to the National Socialist Party, don't you know what it stands for? It's the, the the Nazi Party. Don't you know what it stands for? It's the National Socialist Party. Duh, there, I've got you. And it's like, well, yes, obviously, you know, it is the, the the National Socialist Party. So how can you say Hitler isn't a socialist? Because socialism is an internationalist idea. What Hitler was saying, I mean, I think probably it sounded it sounded like the sort of thing that would be popular, and that's why they went for it. But if we look at it, if we give, if if we imagine that Hitler gave it that slightly more thought, what he was saying is that, and is that the socialism, the kind of raising of living standards, the improvement of wages, would be a national project. It would be for those that we consider to be within the nation. So. Aryan Germans. It excludes Jews. It excludes Gypsies. It excludes Poles. It excludes anyone that isn't of the Aryan blood. And Hitler very quickly tacked to the right. He abandoned any kind of redistributive idea from his manifesto. And in the the, the first manifesto of the, uh, uh, the 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 German Workers' Party, later to become the NSDAP, the Nazi National Socialist Party. There's virtually no mention of the redistribution of wealth whatsoever, but Hitler did see um, a redistribution of wealth in a different way, and he re- believed that the looting and expropriation of the Jews would be how you would um, benefit Aryan Germans, because to him, not German capitalists, but German Jews were the exploiters and the parasites, and that ain't a socialist idea. It's a racist one, 
and one that we can we can put in the basket of ideas we call fascism okay case rest for the prosecution so um yeah we'll return to normal service next week but i felt after about 10 years of of answering that of you know actually avoiding that question because there's only so much mental bandwidth i have to talk to people who are uh gonna kind of yell incoherently um we might as well address it and there we go so anyway thanks very much for listening and i'll catch you on the next explaining history podcast thanks very much all the best bye bye